Thanks again, Julie. Um, just uh, <laughs> no one jumps up and volunteers like I want to be the person to deliver that part of the message. Um, but she does it so well with grace and um, just a, a kind of clarity that I think is um, is needed in the midst of uh, where where we're at today. And so. Um, I just want to say thanks to Julie and to the rest of the op teams, all the work that's been put on. Um, there's a lot of information that you just had given to you. And so just a quick thank you to those who are doing all kinds of extra work behind the scenes to make sure that things like this are able to be reported clearly, efficiently, and also with engaging ways. I just love um, the, uh, the, 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 um, the story uh, that she wove into that in the midst of... Um, of data and stuff like that and the honesty that comes through in that and and um so as as we as a the pastors always have their preaching collective um to uh to talk about the direction of different series and sermons this week we just felt like it was prudent for us to shift a little bit from our normal series and not just preach the kind of typical sermon that we would normally do and so coming off the heels of julie's Announcement and just giving us the ability to sit in that for a little bit, process it a little bit. Instead, we felt like we wanted to give some shepherding and some guidance for our con congregation in light of finances. And um, you could certainly make the case that this could fit easily inside of the Me We series that we've been going through. So in a lot of ways, it deals with communal and individual relationships. Our church interacting, the topic of finances is certainly something that can divide, but it doesn't have to. Right, And so what we want to do is touch base on this a little bit, and then we're going to come back and close our Me We series next week um, and uh, 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 eat a lot of turkey between now and then, right? Yeah? Well, um, I've told you this before, but I entered the church in an era when the generation of people before me was incredibly, incredibly skeptical of the church talking about finances in any way, shape, or form. Whether it was an abuse that they personally found inside of their own church, or whether it was like the televangelist world that seemed to left and right celebrities misusing funds and all of these different things, it caused, um, I think, a, a, a rebound effect um, wherein pastors and clergy and churches were almost in this cautionary posture uh, around the topic of money. In fact, in a previous series, I went and found this. I opened um, in, in a previous series about finances by saying this, that everyone gets a little squirmy when the pastor starts talking about money, right? Yeah. Right now? Maybe? Perhaps? And then I said this, did you know that one of the things most pastors don't want to give a message about is money? Did you know that one of the biggest reasons people don't want to go to church it's because the church might talk about money. The pastors don't want to talk about it. The congregations don't want to hear about it. And people don't want to come to church because they might talk about money. And the problem with that is that Jesus talked a lot about money. That's the truth of it. No matter how much we might caution ourselves almost into a sense of avoidance, Jesus talks about it a lot. And there's actual statistics you'll see published about this. Prayer is mentioned 500 times. Faith is mentioned less than 500 times. Money or giving and generosity is mentioned over 2,000 times in the Bible. So it's something that we do have to engage with. At times, legitimate caution can turn into avoidance. And I feel like I stepped into a generation where there was a lot of avoidance in the midst of leadership all over across the globe, maybe, but for certain inside of America when it comes to this. And so what I want to say about, about that, like, not a lot of churches give that level of information about finances. 
In fact, it is out of a value of transparency in our finances that we come before you every year and we put that stuff in front of you. Um, if you come to our CG DNA class, we actually tell you, if you want a little bit more detail on our finances, email me and we will send you a report that gives more detail. So you don't even have to be a member of our church. You ask for that, you can email me after looking at our website and we'll give it to you. So, so there's a lot of transparency valued in the midst of our church. Sensitivities to those who have seen church misuse, and we prioritize, thankfully, relationship over um, budgets and, and people over buildings and all of the things that go into that. And I think often even, maybe sometimes, but often at the detriment of our organization and our community. So this is one of those moments that we felt like we just needed to engage it. We just wanted to come before you and say, this is a, a, there's a level of urgency. I don't know what you just heard, you know, fully out of, out of Julie's mouth, but to an extent, what I want you to understand is like, we're not closing our doors tomorrow. We're not closing our doors in a month, but we're not sure that we exist in a year or more. All right. I've said that in person, one-on-one -on -one to a few people. And it was like, that was the line that caught people's attention. Like, oh, 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 okay. In fact, Hey, let's teach on this next summer. Okay, let's sit down and make an outline for that teaching series. And in the back of my head, I'm like, is this going to play out? Well, let's meet again and get it. Like, hey, I, I got I to let you know something. Like, we're, we're carrying this kind of in the midst of it. And again, it's not like panic moment, but it is urgency. It's a moment of urgency. And I want to get your attention, but I also want you to know, listen to this. We have been here before. This is not the first time we've been in a situation like this. In fact, God has provided in incredible ways. When we came back last year, you remember Courtney Miller giving you a similar um, uh, mention, and we had, in the midst of that, said, this is our budget. We, we probably can't make this budget, but we're going to step out in faith. And then we are like, we're talking about this in a week. And in between solidifying that budget and talking about that budget, is when the big gift came to us. So God answered that prayer before we even had a chance to announce it to you all. Do you see how God does these things? And in fact, you can kind of make a case that this is just the typical journey of faith for anyone who wants to follow Jesus, from moments of faith in the midst of, of, of taking risk that God will provide, that God will do things that he says he will do. You look at the Israelites being asked to wait for manna in the desert over and over, trusting God for daily bread and protection from their enemies. Or Jesus and Paul, who are just trusting God, not taking a cloak or money or, or a, a bunch of supplies with them on the road, but just knowing that God's people will provide for them in that next place. And if they go here and there's no believers, we're going to preach until someone becomes a believer, and then we will have a community of people to proclaim the, the kingdom of God to. And we see moments of communal and missional generosity, generosity over and over, even times that look radical, as you see the church support themselves in each other in Acts 2.44. I'm just going to read this. This isn't going to be up on this thing. It says this, all the believers were together and shared everything. They would sell their land and the things they owned and then divide the money and give it to anyone who needed it. The believers met together in the temple every day. They ate together in their homes, happy to share their food with joyful hearts. They praised God and were liked by all the people. Every day the Lord added to those who are being saved to a group of believers. 
We talked a lot in our preaching collective about Tabitha. Do you remember the story of Tabitha? Her name is also Dorcas in Acts. Uh, Let me read this to you. In the city of Joppa, there was a follower named Tabitha whose Greek name was Dorcas. She was always good, doing good deeds and kind acts. And while Peter was in Lydda, Tabitha became sick and died. Her body was washed and put into a room upstairs. Since Lydda was near Joppa and followers in Joppa heard that Peter was in Lydda, they, went, they sent two messengers to Peter and they begged him, hurry, please come to us. So Peter got ready and went to them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upstairs room where all the widows, hear this, stood around Peter crying. It's the widows, she served. They showed him the shirts and the coats that Tabitha had made when she was still alive. Peter sent everyone out of the room, kneeled, he prayed, and then he turned to the body and said, Tabitha, stand up. She opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. He gave her hand and helped her up, and then he called the saints and the widows into the room and showed them that Tabitha was alive. And there's a tradition of Tabitha now that we don't know if it's because she made stuff, sold it, and had all kinds of money, like this lady was looted and was so generous that she was helping widows survive, or if she was hand-making them because she had no money, and she's just sewing garments together to give to widows who needed it. Whether she had a lot or a little, she just gave what she had, and there's now a tradition of St. Tabitha that we would be people who would give generously no matter how little or how much. Ultimately, we have this rhythm as believers, right? We trust in God for provision. We live into his divine provision. We take steps of faith, and then we're also required to do what we can, give what we can, love those in and outside of our community with everything that we have possible because we're meant to be contributors and not consumers in the church. Can I get amen for that one? And there's an intersection, and we'll have this one up. I want you to see it and read it. An intersection of these ideas comes together when you think about the boy who is first to give the five loaves and the small fish. It emphasizes small, by the way. I thought that was funny. Verse 8, I believe it's 6, 8, right? Yeah. It says, another one of his followers, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said, here is a boy with five loaves of barley bread and two sat down there. Then Jesus took the loaves of bread, thanked God for them, and gave them to the people who were sitting there. He did the same with the fish, giving up as much as the people wanted. And when you look at some of the other gospels, they actually gave so much food, so much more than they had, that Jesus multiplied the gift that this little boy gave, that there was actually extra left over for them to take. Now what I want us to see is that this boy knew that he was making a decision to take a risk. He could have just eaten and been full himself, right? But he decided, I'm going to put that on the table and say, I'm going to give my provision up for the sake of the community. And it wasn't enough. We know that. It says it was small fish even. But God did something miraculous with this kid's decision. So Common Ground Northeast, we're at a decision-making point in our faith journey. I'm not going to ask you to give of your last two fish, big or small. I want you to listen to Jesus and do what he tells you to do. In fact, if you're down to your last two fish, come talk to us. We will help you. But this is a faith journey that we're on to break 
this down kind of more. We were talking in this preaching collective that there's kind of these three things that we felt like needed to be clear when we walked away from the day. That we need to assess where we're at and be sober-minded in understanding that. And I thank Julie for helping us in that. And I'm going to turn it back over to you this morning. And we need to address what we're going to do about that. And look at our abilities and what we have to contribute. That's what this boy did. He saw there was a need. He saw there was disequilibrium, that people needed fed and there wasn't enough food. And he offered up what he could. He said, this is what I have the ability to give. Take it. And God did a miracle with it. And so I want us to spend most of our time just in this first section, assess, and then we'll end on address and ability and get out of here. The, the ability to correctly kind of assess... Um, it's part of a story that I felt like needed to be told. The story that I know, a story that some of you are a part of, some of you um, haven't been a part of it, but came after the fact. But if you don't correctly assess a situation, then you begin to start fixing a problem that you didn't even have to begin with, or you start on a trajectory that's just a few degrees off, but eventually becomes way off as you start to build it out. And so we want to be really clear about the we are here part on the map so that we know exactly where we're standing as a church and to orient ourselves before we move into the future together. And so I'm going to use, uh, as is uh, usual per, per my norm, some uh, illustrations for you. Um, but I want a timeline to kind of be in your mind. That we have a history at Common Ground Northeast that we're all a part of if you're in here, even if it's in here for the first time. And I want to think of it in two different sections. Um, but, but there's a way in which um, this gets told, and I went back and I like, get the dates right, make sure that we got this right. In 2013, we were planted, right? Now, we weren't actually planted so much as we were budded. Is that a better term for what happened to us? So CG Midtown took a chunk of their own selves sacrificially, and said, let's put this group of people who's out in this area and, and, and let's see if we can get them moving. And they found a leader, they found a group of people, many of you who came out here to help start Common Ground Northeast, and this thing just began to grow. It started with a little bit of resources, it started with um, uh, 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 some people beyond what a normal church plant would have. Um, then eventually in 2015, we were able to get a building which is the building we're now currently in through the collective efforts of the network. Uh, and, and in 2016, we start to see a shift. So our ties and attendance are growing, growing, growing. I don't know the exact starting point, but it makes its way up to about, I want to say 187 people in a service. And something happens after that. Statistically, you just kind of see it. Not sharp. There's some ups and downs in here, but just a couple of percent, it starts to drop, it starts to dwindle, both in tithe and attendance over time. Now, one of the questions is, well, why did that happen? Well, the planting pastor left, that was part of it. Like, you can't underestimate what that might do. But if you also remember, there was some political turmoil that took place in 2016. There's a cultural decline taking place in the midst of just America, wherein those who would call themselves Christians are going to church less and less often, and less people are calling themselves Christians. 
And then we started in somewhere in the midst of this, our justice and reconciliation efforts, which for many is a difficult conversation to have. Well, in the, in the interim here, there was a couple of, well, how can we change this momentum? We had the, the, the founding pastor of all the Common Ground campuses, Jeff Kay. He comes in here to help stabilize some things and help um, kind of do some things out here. He's here as the interim pastor for about a year, and he does some good stabilization, but this actually doesn't really change all that much. It's still kind of just this slow couple of percentages that shift. The next thing is, well, let's... Let's hire a new pastor. And so in the midst of that, when they finally found the person that they would hire, here I am. We come out from Phoenix, um, and and the idea is like, well, that's going to rejuvenate some excitement. And it did. There was some excitement. I remember feeling that excitement. I remember having those interactions. But in the end, this this long-term trajectory actually does not shift all that much in the midst of it. And then if you remember, a little thing called COVID-19 hit us, and that's when things just went nuts. This is the best way to describe the timeline there. All right, we weren't sure what a tithes and attendance would look like. I remember um, the ops team leader at that time came to me, said, let's come up with a three-part plan. What are we going to do if this amount of tithes drops? What are we going to do if this amount of tithes drops? And what are we going to do if this amount of tithes drop? And the idea was, we have a plan, and I remember this wording, we're going to put it in a safe and lock it there and hope we never have to bring that out. And most of those bigger things, we actually didn't have to bring out. We did not let anyone go. We were able to stabilize. The ops team was on top of it when it came to some of those um, government plans that would help inject smaller communities like ourselves with the ability to get through COVID, and they were able to take advantage of those things. And then on the other side of that, I would say the best way I could describe us coming out of COVID, for me, this is my own pastoral kind of felt sense of spinning wheels. It's like, how do you decide who's going to be here and who's not? When they're going to be here, when they're not? How do you understand what is normal attendance? Like, like, like is weekly a, an actual realistic thing to expect? Twice a month, three times a month, three times every two months? I don't know what the normal is going to be, but we're trying in the midst of that. If you remember, we taught on ties. We, we were like, well, we need to teach. Whoa, Jesus. We were, we, we, we decided, we, we were like, well, what are we going to call it? Let's get real creative. And we're like, I don't know, money, 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 hey, I don't know. And so we taught for an entire month on tithes. We offered the ability to go to a class, and many of you actually took that up. And one of our congregation members who had done financial peace, um, Crown Ministries, just used a collective group of that teaching and said, here, let's give some wisdom based on the Bible. And I think a, a good chunk of people came out to that and met online for some financial, biblical kind of consultation in the midst of that. In that same year, we also taught on evangelism because we were like, we need to grow. We saw lots of people checking us out from the neighborhood, and there's a uniqueness to a church like ours who's saying, look, we're going to do this justice and reconciliation stuff no matter what. It's our highest priority, and no matter what, and I remember having conversations sitting across at a lunch meeting where someone said they didn't like one of the articles that we had produced, um, and they said, can we expect more of this? And I said, yes, you can. I don't know that this is the church for us. Can we expect more of this? Okay, there's not so implied. Yeah, you can expect more of this. 
and they're not a part of our church anymore. So there's this thing wherein we've tried to find ways to cultivate this idea. In fact, one of the things that we did in this survey is we asked, what is the thing that you, one of the things that you most appreciate about us is that we don't avoid hard conversations. So we're not gonna stop now. In the midst of this, I had this moment personally where I just felt like we looked at our, bu- our, our, our budget and it was like, well, if we just st- keep it here and we have savings, we can probably just coast for the next few years. I just can't shake anything up too much. But I can't do that. There's too much to be preached. There's too much to be talked about. And I remember thinking to myself, I don't want to just slowly fade off into nothing. And so I began asking the elders, we need a big thing. And I'm saying like an all-in moment. That's if you, if you got a poker background or not, you kind of get the idea. I'm saying we're going to like bet the farm on something really big that doesn't just get us out of this moment, that doesn't just make up for whatever happened in this moment, but that goes back here and says, I want the inertia of this to be stopped. And I'm willing to take a risk that we might actually die in the midst of if it says we can get out of this because I'm just not okay with this. That's survival. That's not thriving. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so the elders and I were praying about some things in the midst of that. We were in uh, some conversations. I had met Ken before, but we started to get back into conversation. We're like, man, let's have some conversations about maybe your ministry and my ministry having some things that are in common, some ideas that overlap. And in the midst of that, there was hopes of maybe having a full merge with the healing place and things didn't quite work out the way we were originally hoping. We were like, well, we're still going to bring Ken on as our associate pastor. And so when Ken came, if you were remember, there was kind of a moment there where we were like, man, this is a big moment, but there's a risk to this. And there was momentum building. We have new ministries, men's and women's and couples. Their entire greeting ministry that happens when you walk in did not exist before Ken was here, not at least in the way that it exists in in the way it is now. And so it was like, well, let's get out of these things, but Ultimately, what we did is we flattened this. We're now not going down. We're not going up. We've just kind of stayed the same, if you remember the bar graph that was put in front of us. Well, in, the, in, in that decision, we decided that we probably have about one good year. So here, here's the big move that we made. Bring Ken on. Let's see if we can cultivate this. Let's go deeper into our mission. It was a calculated risk. It was a step of faith that we thought could really help us in the midst of this. And I think it was the exact right move. It was an all-in moment. But we thought it was so perfectly in alignment with our mission, our vision, and what we wanted our future to be about, that we couldn't pass it up. We believed that it was so in lockstep with what the Holy Spirit was telling us in that moment, and we decided, look, let's take the risk, and we knew we could sustain it for about a year, and we got to the end of that year, and we presented that budget before you, and we got a really amazing gift from some generous people, and that actually extended all the way to two years. So we didn't just get one year out of that big move. We got two years because of God's provision through generosity inside of this church, and all of that is to say, here's where we were at. With all of this behind us, 
this is where we're at now. Who I, what I want you to see in the, in the midst of this is that it's not just like numbers, it's not just calculating and, 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 and creating a sum of parts to create this whole. There's this engagement with the Holy Spirit. There's God saying, yeah, make this move. There's God saying, let's sustain us. There's us coming to the end of our means and saying, God, we need your help. And God's like, all right, I'm going to help you, but not quite in the timeline that you thought you were going to get it. But here it is, and now we're moving forward. And we're standing in front of you all once again saying, this is where we're at. We still believe that that big move was a perfect move to make. We still believe it was in alignment with our budget and our mission and our vision of our church. We still believe that God has a future in that, but we all have to be all in on this if we're going to keep moving it forward. On our end of it, we also wanted to say, what are you all thinking? And so that's where the interviews came into play. We felt like as a leadership, it wasn't just us asking you as a congregation, do this. It was us saying, what do you need more from us? And there are definitely some themes that arose to the top that we are taking real seriously. We, we're still sorting through the survey answers that we had the ability um, to, to collect during that time. We, we had some themes kind of rise together. We we're asking the question, what causes you to stick around? What do you most appreciate? What do you think are maybe some blind spots in the leadership in the community at CGNE? And where can we shore some things up? And as we process those things, I think it'll trickle out more and more. But in, inside of all of that, we just wanted to gather some assessment from you so that we clearly knew how to engage and understand ourselves. So that's our assessment. All of this was the assessment. The last two things is that we want to ask you to address the you are here moment. If this is where we're at, if this is where we assess ourselves, we want you to ask and address your own engagement with it. What are you supposed to do? What are you supposed to do about it? We've assessed that there is a disequilibrium in our budget and the things that we believe God has called us to do and, and, and in the midst of the budget and, and not just up at the attendance patterns of our church. I have a dream that we would get to two services of 150 people each and then plant more churches. And then look at where the rest of our people are coming from. Oh, there's a group of you in Fishers. Looks like we need a CG North North. I don't know what you call it. If there's a group of you coming from the Far East, then we need a group of people out there. This isn't supposed to end with just the two churches that Midtown started and some of the other ones that they were a part of having a hand in creating, but that this is supposed to be a multiplication movement that reverberates, I don't know, across Indiana, across the nation. But we have to be here to create momentum for things like that. Our budget and our attendance patterns need to see that this vision we have for our church is so big that we have to be here and we want you to help us address that. Take ownership and ask yourself, I cannot allow this disequilibrium to exist. And so my hope today is to create a clear and transparent idea to cultivate your desire so that you can't just get through another year that we can't just come up and do this all over again in one year and say, well, we got three years out of it. What I'm asking for is for you to reanalyze how often you attend church. If the norm is once every six weeks, I'm asking you not to be normal. I'm asking you to go against that and to show up as often as possible. 
we have a lot more people in this church than what you look around and see right now. This is a decent turnout today. There are so many more of us out in the, in the fringes. And if we all showed up, I actually don't even know if we, we would have the ability to comfortably, I'll say, sit in this place. There is the ability to correct this budget issue in here. That's not even a risk. That exists in our church already. And so we're asking yourself to address it. Take ownership and say, hey, if there's a problem, we can't settle ourselves with it. But then the next question that you have to ask is, what abilities do I have? What resources, what time, what talent, what capabilities, what networks are you a part of that you could say they need to flow into what's going on here at Common Ground? And so we're asking you to take stock of your ability. Here's the assessment. We're asking you to address it. Now ask, what is the ability that you have to bridge the gap in both our ties and attendance over the next year? Show up. Be present. Not just be present, be expectant that God wants to meet you every single Sunday that you walk through these doors and that he has something huge that he wants to bring to your attention. Don't, don't just be the, you hear this, this is like fun, fun language that the, the, um, the, the Pentecostal church uses. We don't want you to be a tipper, we want you to be a tither. Okay, fair enough, I get it. It's funny language, but you get it. There's, there, I will never talk negatively about this giant gift that we got. It is a beautiful moment where God revealed his provision in so many ways, and I cannot tell you how thankful we are, but it's not an exchange for just the slow, consistent tither who says, this is a discipline I am engaging with, and I'm going to give it on a regular basis because this is the conviction that God has brought to me. This is what the Holy Spirit revealed to me, and I want to see this church not survive, but thrive and dream bigger for the next generation. Some give more and some give less. Remember Tabitha. Ultimately, God is going to have to step in to accomplish the ideas that we have. We are not short on ideas. I want to buy that property over there and put a community park on it. We've tried to buy this house next to it, and things just haven't quite worked out. I want to buy that marsh building that's down the street and create a community center. These are all ideas, not just me. I didn't just come up with those. People have straight up had dreams about us owning that marsh and said, what do you think about this idea? Yeah, we've had that conversation. That conversation comes up once every two years, I've heard. We have dreams, but it's like we can't get our head above survival mode in order to get to those places. And so the question here is, what ability do you have personally or your household to contribute to the mission and vision? I want to affirm we are a truly unique church. Julie's story is one anecdote. I've had conversations with you, and it's not because I came in and did something crazy. It's because the cultivation of years and years, Jeff's uh, investment, you all's investment in this church has created something unique in the scope of churches and the landscape that you could be a part of. As I've been sitting on this information over the last few months, coming to terms with the possibility that we could close, literally every worship set has been me praying I'm going to see a victory. This is what I'm praying for. I'm going to see a victory here. If there's a hallelujah to be said, I, I, I want that, but it's because God's going to step in and change the situation that we're in. So for two months, I've been over here praying those prayers, those worship songs over this church with this one idea in my mind. And I think it's possible. But in the midst of that, I've also had to come to the reality, like, what do I do if we close? I, I honestly... I don't know where I would go. 
we're Hoosiers, we're here. I don't know where I would go. But, but what else could be accomplished beyond the, where would I go? If we were freed up to stop thinking about survival and dream more, it's possible. If you look through this, there are miracles to be had. We've been given buildings. We've been drawn to the last of our ability. We've taken risks before I ever got, a, got to be a part of this church. And I've seen God move in it since I've been here. There are miracles in the history of God's word for God's people. So it makes sense. We're just an extension of that as a church that locally lives today. God is faithful to us. But is it possible that those victories can just be one more moment in our testimony of our history? This can be a future story for the next generation when we came before the congregation and said, this is our reality, let's change it, and God provided. And so these are miracles in our history, but I keep asking myself, maybe there's more miracles to be had in our future. Miracles that we have yet to experience, that we haven't even thought to begin to dream of, and with God, it almost always, almost always, right, starts with a step of faith. Our budget is a step of faith. But I think you've seen us make those steps of faith and haven't fully been brought into it. So I apologize for that. I want you to be a part of this, to know what's going on behind the scenes, that there are prayers and deep thoughts and strategies and going before the Holy Spirit and asking God, what are you telling us to do? Speak, Holy Spirit. Speak, Holy Spirit. And this is where we've landed. So we're asking you all to take this step of faith with us, to take a risk on behalf of God's people over the next few months and into the next year, to throw down your loaf of bread and your three small fish. And then what we're going to do is simply pray and say it's in God's hands now. What are you going to do, Jesus? Would you pray with me right now? So Father, thank you for... Uh, who you've chosen to be in this room today. Father, and as we spread this message and ask everyone to listen online who wasn't able to listen, Father, would you create something that permeates beyond just us? Something so big that we're getting out of this situation, but we're also going to see bigger things come out of it. Miracles that we didn't know were possible. More congregations planted out of common ground northeast that are disciples of you to do justice, to do acts of mercy and kindness, and to walk humbly with you, Jesus. That's unique in our country. And so maybe this is our 300. And if that's true, then embolden the Gideon in us to step out. Maybe this is our handful of people in Jerusalem when persecution hits and you spread and the church grows so much faster than they ever thought possible. And God, you've entrusted us with whatever you've entrusted us with. You've shown us and we've assessed where we're at. God, tell us where you want us to engage it. How do you want us to address it? And what abilities have you given us in order to bring it to its fruition? We lift this up right now and we ask powerfully, God, just speak to us, Holy Spirit. Speak to us. Would you say that? Just say, speak to us. Would you say that with me? 
speak to us. Holy Spirit, speak to us. You've been faithful and you won't give up now. We sang it, he won't. So we stand on you, our firm foundation, and we ask for you to move, Jesus. It's in your hands, do what you will, Father, and let us be obedient to whatever it is that you've called us to do. And we ask for this all right now in the name of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen, amen, amen.